the truth about Hamas and militant Islam that no one is talking about today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier of freedom. It's our platform where we talk about faith, politics, and commerce, where we analyze current events from biblical and common sense perspectives. I'm so glad you knocked. The door is open and we have answered. Come on in and welcome to The Grid. Welcome, believers, family, friends alike. I'm Chris Coleman, the founder of the Kingdom Patriot Group, and welcome to our flagship podcast production, The Grid. But before we jump into today's topic, let's do a quick recap with our news and review. Because the news in the Middle East is pretty much dominated the news wires, our news and review this week is a little bit shorter as we are going to spend our main topic actually covering what's going on over in Israel and Gaza. But that doesn't mean we're without news completely. So I just have to point this out. Another week goes by in which the Republicans look like complete buffoons in our government, especially in the House. In secret GOP leadership meetings, Steve Scalise was nominated as speaker, presumably to replace Kevin McCarthy, who was ousted last week. But that didn't last long because he couldn't get the support of about 30 Republicans. So now Steve Scalise is out. Before he even got the vote, he's gone. So now Jim Jordan is trying to garner support. But apparently the moderate Republicans are scared of him as well because he tends to throw out some bombshells out there. So that's it's just a complete mess and chaos. So just so you know who's been leading and is being considered to lead the Republican Party CPAC rates the conservatism. It uses a score to do that. It rates the conservatism of all congressional members, and it combines the Senate and the House members together. So there's 258 senators and House members all together, uh, at least as I understood, or at least who they rate, I should say, 258 that they rate. McCarthy, I did not know this, ranked 128 out of 258, and Scalise ranked 127. So these are really middle-of-the-road guys not saying that's necessarily bad, but we have to be concerned about rhinos who are, are really more moderates, I would say more conservative Democrats than maybe conservative Republicans. That contrasted with Jim Jordan or Marjorie Taylor Greene. Jim Jordan's ranked number 11 and Marjorie Greene eight. So when you talk about conservatism, McCarthy and even Steve Scalise were not even on the same planet, at least from a pure conservatism standpoint and score. Now, personally, this is my opinion. I actually didn't think McCarthy had done a horrible job. He's in a difficult situation trying to navigate the fact that we don't control the Senate. We don't control the um, executive branch. So very, very difficult. But perhaps it's time for a new path and for folks who are really going to toe the conservative line to, to make it into power. But what the country is seeing front and center is a complete fracture of the Republican House. And that does not bode well in these coming elections. If we're going to fight, let's do it behind the scenes. If we're going to argue, let's do it behind the scenes. When we come out, the optics of unification, the optics of working together as conservatives needs to be front and center, not the chaos. Also, this is kind of big news, and I want to break this down a little bit for you. Uh, it's econo the economic news. So how we measure inflation, in September, it showed that the pace of price increases is still grinding lower, though at a slow and uneven pace. It's like, what does that even mean? I'm going to share that with you in just a minute. So prices in the United States increased 0.4% from August to September, a slowdown from the previous month. 
Thursday's report from the Labor Department also showed that annual consumer inflation in September was unchanged from a 3.7% rise in August. So I'm going to stop there. We could really dive into all these factors, the core prices, food and energy prices. They're even up higher than that. But when you hear the word 3.7% annual inflation, does that give you pause and you say, oh, well, that that's much better. That's much better than what we've been. The Fed's target rate's 2%, so we're getting pretty close to that, right? No, because you have to understand there's a new baseline involved. Yes, the Fed is targeting a 2% inflation rate because we know that that is what's most healthy for our economy. So when we see 3.7, yeah, we're getting closer to that number, but it's stubborn. It doesn't seem to be coming down. But that's 3.7% on top of the 9, 10, and 12% that we saw. So it would be like saying, I have this $100 car, or not $100 item, I should say, that the Fed says should be going up 2% every year. That's healthy inflation. So it would go for, it'd be 100 this year. It'd be 102 next year and change, then 104 and a little bit more. That would be the necessary or I guess the most healthy method of inflation. But what we've experienced would be more like it went from 100 to $112. And now it's getting down to where, well, it's $112. Now it's going to 115. It's going to 117. This 3.7% inflation rate, this annualized of the core prices of 4.1, is on top of that is the rate it is still growing. It's still growing at that rate after astronomical inflation, inflationary increases. So you need to understand when you see this, this is meant to say, hey, everything's going better. And it's really not. We actually haven't seen deflation at all. So prices are, are sticky. They're stagnant. As long as the demand is high, as long as we keep printing money, inflation, this is what it's going to be. It's going to do. It's just going to continue to go up. So I wanted to level set that because when you hear this economic news, it sounds like, oh, we're getting to where we need to be. But you need to remember, this is built on the baseline of extraordinary inflation over the last couple of years uh, in the Biden administration. So Hopefully uh, that's a little more clear for you and that you can take some of these statistics with a little bit of grain of salt. It's short, like I said, but for this week's news and review, that's a wrap. If you're a business owner, you know hiring quality team members is a real challenge and a bad hire can destroy workplace culture and cost you tens of thousands of dollars to unwind. That's why we use Red Balloon. Red Balloon specializes in connecting job seekers and employers with aligned values without all that woke nonsense. Over 15,000 job seekers visit redballoon.work every single week looking for businesses that won't force them to pledge allegiance to a bunch of liberal policies. Every job seeker on Red Balloon pledges to pursue excellence in their work, create success for themselves and their employer, and avoid bringing personal political agendas into the workplace. Visit redballoon.work to learn about the packages for entrepreneurs, small businesses, large enterprise businesses, and even a recruiter service to help you find the right people. Finding the right people can make or break your company's future. Check out redballoon.work today. All right, to our topic today, just after we finished recording last week's podcast, all hell broke loose in the Middle East. And I will warn you, this topic is heavy. It's sobering. It's very difficult to hear. But what I will ask of you is please go on this journey with me. Please go ahead and listen to this whole thing because I think you're going to find it enlightening. And I don't think you're going to hear this, this particular analysis on any other news source. 
So let's just go back. It's October 7th, 6.30 a.m., and the sirens are blaring in Jerusalem. An estimated 2,200 rockets were fired towards southern and central Israel, and that included Tel Aviv, it included Jerusalem, and it came from Hamas, Hamas militants. And this is all according to the IDF. You'll hear me refer to that. That's the Israeli Defense Forces. That morning, October 7th, the IDF said that over the past hour, the Hamas terrorist organization launched massive barrages of rockets from Gaza into Israel, and its terrorist operatives have infiltrated into Israel in a number of different locations in the south. Videos show hundreds of Hamas soldiers breaching the Israeli border from Gaza by boat, by pickup trucks, and even motorized paragliders. I want you to hold on and remember that, motorized paragliders. I have an important comment about that a little bit later. At 11.30 a.m., Benjamin Netanyahu declares Israel is at war. At 5 p.m., October 7th, Benjamin Netanyahu says the following. This morning, Hamas launched a murderous surprise attack against the state of Israel and its citizens. We have been in this since the early morning hours. I convened the heads of the security establishment and ordered, first of all, to clear out the communities that have been infiltrated by the terrorists. This currently is being carried out. At the same time, I've ordered an extensive mobilization of reserves and that we return fire of a magnitude the enemy has not known. The enemy will pay an unprecedented price. And in the meantime, I call on the citizens of Israel to strictly adhere to the directives of the IDF and Homefront Command. We are at war and we will win it. October the 8th, next day, 5 a.m., it's reported that 30 Israeli police officers are killed in Sederat. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that, that place correctly, where Hamas actually took over a police station. By 9 a.m., there are now more than 100 Israelis have been taken hostage. And at the end of this second day, more than 700 are dead in Israel. October 9th, 6 a.m., we now know that American citizens are victims as well. At 8 a.m., IDF jet fighters have hit more than 130 locations in Gaza, including uh, activities such as they cut off water, electricity, fuel, full bore. At 1 p.m., Hamas threatens to start executing hostages unless Israel stops bombing people's homes. More on this later because that statement is pretty much pure propaganda, and you'll understand why in a minute. Reports continue to surface of families being slaughtered in their homes and beds, being burned alive, women being raped, and their dead bodies being drugged through the streets, and babies and children's being beheaded. Israeli Defense Minister Gallant said the following, We will not allow a reality in which Israeli children are murdered. I have removed every restriction on our forces. We will eliminate anyone who fights us and use every measure at our disposal. Anyone who decapitates citizens or murders women and Holocaust survivors will be eliminated. So where do we stand today as we're now more than a week away? Well, more than 1,500 Israelis have been killed in this, I won't even call it conflict. It's an outright terrorist attack. But this includes Americans. It includes French. It includes people from other countries as well. In addition, hundreds of hostages and others are completely unaccounted for at this point. Politically speaking, Hezbollah is mobilizing. We now know that Iranian officials met in Beirut, and if not outright ordered the attack, at least supported and planned this attack for Hamas. 
most Jews are describing this as the worst attack, this Nazi-style attack since the Holocaust. And I can assure you that Jews do not throw around that term very lightly. They say that with great care. So does this surprise you? Does this attack surprise you? Does the violence surprise you? If you ask retired Colonel Alan West, who is a former representative from Florida, I bet he would say he is not surprised in the least because, as he put it, this is what they do. If you read their teachings, if you understand their motivations, their commitments, their plan and purpose, this should not surprise you, other than maybe the scale. The reason this doesn't happen every day is, quite frankly, that group of people, Hamas, does not have the technology nor the size of the army where they can do this on a regular basis. They're going to pay a heavy price for this, undoubtedly, but they are completely driven by ideology. So I want to take a moment to hear what, or maybe share, I should say, what I'm hearing in the media. And it, it's, it's not shocking, it's sickening. I'm hearing sympathy for Hamas and the Palestinians to some degree, and I, and I get that. I get that the Palestinians are governed by Hamas. And, and can you imagine a situation where our country is being governed by terrorists? That doesn't sound like a great plan. But Depending on the poll that you read, somewhere between 50 and 75% of the Palestinians support Hamas being the group that's in control of their government. I mean, this is who they chose. Not saying they have fair and free elections, but I'm just saying, let that sink in for a bit. So the media talks about conditions in Gaza and that Israel is the infidel, it's an occupying force, and how horrendous Israel is to the Palestinians in conflicts and attacks like this. And you hear, and this is my favorite, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, that this is a territorial dispute. This is just the Palestinians being upset about their land. Well, I want to talk to you about a, a historical territorial dispute, but I want to go back a few years. It's 1776. We have the United States and we have England. What is the United States saying? We're saying we don't want taxation without representation. We don't want quartering of soldiers in people's homes. We want the ability to govern. You're telling us we can't govern. We don't want to continue to be neglected, to be ignored by the king thousands of miles away and still having to ask permission for basic rights and basic decisions just to self-govern. There was a geography issue. You're over there. We're over here. And all you're doing is reaping the benefits of the colony, but you're not helping us at all. You're acting like this is territory that's, that's right next door, but we are different. We need help. So ultimately, the Declaration of Independence was born, and the Declaration, and I'm, I'm summing this, I'm paraphrasing, but we have the right, in fact, we have the duty to throw off a government with these kinds of grievances. And so it was England that said, oh, no, you won't. We're going to send forces to America, and we're going to pound you into submission. We didn't invade England. We didn't declare that we would seek the destruction of England. We merely wanted to be free people to be self-governed, to worship freely in our land. That is truly a territorial dispute, and a war broke out because of that. The dispute, who was in charge of the land, was really because the colonists said, we, we have the right to self-govern ourselves here. We're not part of England. So how does that compare to the narrative where you hear not just the media, but you hear Hamas saying, this is a territorial dispute. It's a complete lie that this is all about a territorial dispute with Israel. It is an ideology dispute. And so 
the question I would ask you is, did you know that Hamas already self-governs? Did you know that is, Israel is not involved in their government? You probably didn't know that. Israel doesn't dictate anything to them other than, hey, you can't just fire rockets at us and think that we're not going to respond. I mean, that's kind of government protection of its citizens 101. The unspoken truth is Hamas doesn't want Gaza. They want all of Israel. They believe that all of Israel is their land, and they want Jerusalem, and they want it all. And they see a future where the Jews don't exist. And you think I'm being extreme. I know you do. But don't take my word for it. Let's read Hamas's own charter. Some people refer to it as the Hamas Covenant. That's what it says. On the destruction of Israel. That's one of the items. Israel ex will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Okay, that doesn't sound like a territorial dispute. They want to obliterate Israel. Okay, let's talk about some of the other things in the news about this territorial dispute. Can't we just come to a peace agreement? Can't we just, um, I, I say policy of appeasement, but can't we come to just agreement of who's going to control what? Well, again, let's read the Hamas Covenant. Peace initiatives and so-called peace solutions and international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. Those conferences are no more than a means to appoint the infidels as arbitrators in the lands of Islam. There's no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time and an exercise in futility. I'm not saying that the pieces are going to work. That's what they're saying. They're saying you can't. So they also have another section here condemning the Israel-Egypt peace treaty. This is what they say. Egypt was, to a great extent, removed from the circle of struggle against Zionism through the treacherous Camp David Agreement. The Zionists are trying to draw other Arab countries into similar agreements in order to bring them outside the circle of struggle. Leaving the circle of struggle against Zionism is high treason. Okay, did you, did you just catch that? You're saying, by negotiating with Israel, you're now not fighting Israel. And by doing that, you've committed high treason. Ideology and mindset, you need to understand this. And then it goes on to say, and cursed be he who perpetrates such an act. You've committed treason and you're to be cursed if you negotiate with Israel. Okay, how about the day of judgment? The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. Then the Jews will hide behind rocks and trees, and the rocks and trees will cry out, O Muslim, where, uh, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. Not my words. Directly from the Hamas covenant. This is what this group, this, these folks that govern Palestine, that govern in Gaza, this is what their commitment is. And these are just a few examples from these excerpts. Hamas Militant Islam is committed to the complete destruction of the Jews. Does that sound like a territorial conflict to you? Yes, they talk about getting rid of the infidels and every inch of Palestine should be devoted, and we'll call it Allah land at that point. But how does this lead to the rape of women, the beheading of children, murder, burning people alive, and worse, sacrificing even their own citizens? Does that last statement raise an eyebrow, sacrificing their own citizens? Did you know that Israel issues warnings via text message and flyer and pamphlets and many other means to the citizens of Palestine, to the Palestinians to let them say, get out of that building, get out of this district because we're about to destroy it. And did you know Hamas at best tells its citizens, ignore the message and at worst, 
will kill people who try to evacuate their own citizens. And why? We have videos saying this fulfills their propaganda. And you need to know where Hamas is. There's no Pentagon for Hamas. They don't have a headquarters like that. They have HQs and hospitals, schools, apartment buildings, libraries, and other places surrounded by people in public, surrounded by their civilians and citizens. And why? Because they've openly stated that if Israel takes out Hamas and kills civilians in the process, it's actually good for Allah. It's good for the promotion of militant Islam. It's good for propaganda against Israel because they use that to claim how bad Israel is. I thought Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, had, the, had one of the greatest quotes when it talked about this. He said, we use our missiles to defend our citizens, but Hamas uses its citizens to defend its missiles. So sobering. So folks, who thinks like that? What kind of ideology has that mindset that we're going to sacrifice our citizens just to make the enemy look bad. We're going to put all of our military in places where we know that if we're attacked, it will kill our civilians. It will kill our women. Who thinks like that? Well, this is where the rubber meets the road in today's podcast and what I really want to share with you, because I want to help you step into the world of a completely different mindset that you may not be aware of. There's always dangers in situations like this to think that the enemy, to think that other cultures think like we do. Think like Westerners. Think like Christians. Because as a Christian, are we not taught love God, love people, treat others more important than yourself. Think with others' needs in mind first before even your own. Right and wrong is not only a staple of Christianity, but is the very foundation of our system of government. Rule of law, right and wrong, actions and consequences. That's how we think as a society. But that's not how Hamas thinks. That's not how a Hamas leader would think. That's not how a militant member of Islam would think. So my wife and I, several years ago, um, were able to attend a seminar at a church in uh, South Bend, Indiana, in which this distinction of mindset and understanding was really brought to light for me. We listened to two speakers. One was a Christian missionary, and he had spent... Uh, several years in the Middle East, and he shared some of those stories. The other, the other person was a Notre Dame professor who had dedicated his work to studying Islam and just to do an extensive research so he could really help, especially Christians, understand some of that mindset. And so as he spoke, he talked about how the Quran and these militant members have a very prescriptive mindset on how they act, how they go about implementing their religion. So for instance, as a Christian, what do we do? We are to share the good news. We are to take that to the world. Not so for the middle to Islam. You either convert or you die. But there's more to it than just that. Right and wrong is a Christian. It's a Western mindset. But it is not a militant Islam mindset. And why? Because the thought price doesn't exist. Right and wrong doesn't exist the same way in that culture. Or I should say in that ideology. First and foremost, they believe their version of heaven or paradise is based on works, particularly extra points, extra credit for martyrdom. That is a big problem in itself. But most importantly, instead of right and wrong, actions are categorized into permissible and unpermissible. Let that sink in for a moment. Permissible and not permissible, unpermissible. In their world, you're either Muslim or you're an infidel. To get to heaven, I must kill the infidels. If you're an infidel, then everything is permissible to achieve my ends of eradicating your existence. 
Do you realize, folks, how different that mindset is? When the U.S. fought for independence against Britain, of course we would kill soldiers who attacked us. But would we rape their women and behead their children? Absolutely not. That would be war crimes of the highest degree. But Hamas, in a heartbeat. Why? Because if they can kill another infidel and do it as gruesome as possible and discourage the enemy, well, that's permissible. Why? Because the enemy is an infidel and the gloves come off. Nothing is too gruesome. That's who we're dealing with. Permissible and unpermissible. So when we placate Iran, you're dealing with the same people. If Iran got a hold of a nuclear weapon, would they hesitate to drop it on infidels all around the world? Not in the slightest. To defeat your enemy, you must know the enemy. And to know the enemy, you must understand how they think and what their mindset is. And it's just very different. So the Bible gives us a moral compass. But for Hamas, they only need to know if they have permission to do whatever they need to to achieve their goals. The ends justify all means. Have you ever heard me talk about that before? So why does it even matter to us here in the U.S.? Well, if you care about humanity, it matters. If you care about democracy, it matters. If you care about freedom, it matters. Reagan said freedom is always one generation from extinction and must be fought for by every single generation. I, I love that quote, and it's true. Hear me clearly. I'm not ready to say that the American left is Hamas. I'm not. But the lack of freedom and the parallels in some of those areas are pretty shocking. You have lack of freedom, you have indoctrination, the inability to have free speech, you have different sets of laws and rules, depending on what ideology you carry, there's persecution of faith. These all exist in Hamas, but they exist as well here, just more on a civilized scale, but they exist nonetheless. But the time is coming when the gloves will come off, spiritually speaking. Hamas may bow to the authority of Allah, but, we, but really they just seek permission to justify every atrocity that they commit, thinking it's earning them points. We have to reject this mindset at all costs. We must reject this mindset in our country, in our culture. We must reject this leftist culture. It won't end well. It will not end well. I'm so glad you asked how you can help for free. Subscribe or follow The Grid and set your phone out for automatic downloads. You'll have immediate access to each new episode and you'll help us appear at the top of your podcast platform search list. This makes the grid easier for everyone to find. From all of us at the Kingdom Patriot Group, thank you for joining us in the fight for faith and freedom by subscribing to the grid. Okay, from an analysis perspective, I'm going to do a little bit different this. I'm going to, I'm going to go backwards in order of importance, increasing importance. All of this happening in the Middle East, I, I think it's yet to be seen what all the commerce impacts are going to be. But when there's a war, prices go up, fuel goes up, goods and services increase in price, scarcity becomes a problem. It just depends on, I, I should say, the, uh, the magnitude of the war on how well that impacts. But often these wars impact the price of oil. So we'll just have to see. That being said, I don't see anything good for this in our economy. Uh, unless you're a weapons manufacturer, <laughs> that you, you may be pretty excited about that. I'm sure we could talk about that another at another point. From a political perspective, I want to break the politics into a couple categories. But first, I want to talk about government politics. And particularly, I want to talk about the display of weakness. The U.S. currently displays such weakness in this administration. You can see it in Blinken's comments. You can see it even directly and indirectly. How about our exchange with Iran? 
six American hostages for $6 billion in money. Do you think for a moment this is not going to come back to haunt us? It turns out that our foreign policy, the weakness in foreign policy, has consequences. I've heard it said that no one has lost a war because its military is too strong. That's strength. And yet, what did Anthony Blinken, I think it was Anthony Blinken, say at somewhere in this process about his response to Israel, that Israel needs to take the high road and resorting to more violence is not going to help stop the conflict. What? Are you kidding me? Women were raped. Children were beheaded. It was a terrorist attack. You don't respond just placating and defriending on Facebook. I mean, you've got to show strength. And why? Because when you talk about this mindset, permissible and unpermissible, again, we're not talking about a Western mindset. Appeasement is not a deterrent. Strength deters because you have an opposing force and you're opposing an ideology that doesn't think like we do. They don't think like Westerners. They don't have biblical values. They only respond to overwhelming force. So when I think of strength and clarity, particularly in politics, here's an example of what not to say. Anthony Blinken, exact, front and center. Israel needs to take the high road. Uh, even Tucker Carlson made the comment about why should we be worried about this when we have people dying on our streets from drug overdoses? Really? You, you compare that? That's not an example of strength. Here's an example of what to say. Here's an example of a posture to take. Nikki Haley said this, my message to you, Benjamin Netanyahu, finish them. Finish them. Okay. That sounds like overwhelming force. Netanyahu said, we are going to eradicate them. As I said earlier, he said that we are going to respond in such a way and with such force that they have never seen. That's showing strength. And when you have these situations, you must show political strength. You must show overwhelming force because that is the only thing that this enemy responds to. But when I say politics, normally I'm talking about the U.S. government, that kind of thing. But there's a culture politics that's involved in this that I want to talk about as well. I am maybe not shocked is the right word, but sickened is probably better. I'm sickened at the demonstrations that I've become aware of on college campuses around the country where students who've had life easy, who don't even know what real conflict is like, are chanting death to Israel and we support Palestine. It happened at Harvard. It's happened at a lot of places. These students, they're so ignorant. They're completely misinformed at best, or at worst, they're just militant implants that are part of this, this process. You cannot look at Hamas in light of the information that I just shared with you and not come to the conclusion that this is the embodiment, the personification of evil, and it must be eradicated. Here's one that really disturbs me. Black Lives Matter. They sent out or put out a statement that said, we stand with Palestine. Okay, you want to say the people? I can, I can get that. But in the background, it had a picture of a person and a paraglider, a parasail parachute. Remember what I said earlier? That was one of the ways that Hamas attacked Israel was with these motorized parasails and paraglides. Very, very intentional by Black Lives Matter. And then there's they've had some LGBTQ flags and some of their other statements, which you know, another commentator just pointed out, that's almost funny when you think about that, because if if you are LGBTQ in, in Palestine under the rule of Hamas, you know what you are? You're dead. They don't support that. I mean, they're the worst human rights violators of all time. So, I mean, come on, Black Lives Matter. It just makes me want to vomit. There's no backbone, no strength, all this cultural intersectionality. And you do know why Black Lives Matters or BLM can make comments like they do. 
because they don't have to walk out of their headquarters and worry that some Russian scud made missile blows them into a thousand pieces. That's what the Israelis have to deal with. No, our whole country lives in a bubble and stupid people at BLM don't even have the intellectual honesty to recognize that the very protests that they engage in, the very vile things that they say, the evil they support exists because freedom-loving Americans bought that freedom with blood, sweat, and tears, sacrificing their lives along the way and giving BLM the right to be disgusting, totally infuriating. Okay, so I'm going to take a breath there, and I want to talk about faith in this. Heavy topic today. I'm, As you can tell, I'm pretty fired up about this. I'm pretty fired up about some of the response. But I still want to encourage you. This is horrible news. But the good news is, if we can find anything good about this, Jesus knew that this would happen, and he told us about it. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against a nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Does this feel like birth pains to you? It certainly does to me. The enemy is completely bent on the destruction of Israel. Always has and always will. So when I see things like this, it reminds me that we are seeing the fury of evil. We are seeing the fury of the devil because why? He knows his time is short. But we also know in his time being short that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And we have to keep that in mind. Yes, we need to provide whatever support we can to Israel. You know, I, this is not, a, I guess, a standpoint that I was really mentioning in this podcast. wouldn't go too down, far down this road. But there is a history that we can see in the Bible. When you don't support Israel, when you're not on Israel's side, it doesn't go well for you as a country. I would encourage President Biden, this administration, Congress, we need to support Israel at all costs. And maybe that's just sending Rashida Tlaib back to Palestine. I mean, she fits there more in any way. She doesn't even have an American flag in her office. Did you know that? Rashida Tlaib has uh, an LGBTQ flag and a Palestinian flag. And she represents a Michigan. I mean, are there even words? Jesus wins. And I will continue to preach this. He is our only eternal hope. Is Jesus Christ. Be encouraged in the midst of discouraging news and terrible, terrible things that we are seeing because Jesus Christ is our own, only internal hope. As we wrap up today, thanks again to our sponsor, Red Balloon. Thanks, Andrew, for all of that great work you're doing. I love the fact that you're fighting for faith and freedom and wokeness to be also eradicated out of the workplace. Also to the audience, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Grid. Be sure to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. Also make sure you tell your friends, families, and neighbors about this podcast production, The Grid. Have you heard me say that a couple of times, The Grid? You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of those platforms, we're there. Just search the Kingdom Patriot Group and you will find us. Give us a five-star rating because that helps us broaden our reach. And if you're only listening today, we're now on YouTube. We're now on video. In fact, the majority of our listeners are, I think, are not listening. They're actually watching. But just making sure you're aware of that. Find us on YouTube. Subscribe and follow us there as well and like us. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued and your input is needed. I'm Chris Coleman and I am a Kingdom Patriot. 